1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. Let's just, before we read verse 1, let's just kind of read the last two verses of chapter 10, kind of bring us up to speed. This is after Saul was publicly proclaimed to be the first king of Israel. Chapter 10, verse 26. And Saul also went home to Gibeah, and there went with him a band of men whose hearts God had touched. But the children of Belial, or Belial, said, How shall this man save us? And they despised him. So some men supported him. There was a, probably a very small minority despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. So Samuel went home to Gibeah, his home, which I think is interesting, really. Um, here he is, the king, and now he's going back, and you'll see in this next couple of verses, he was going back to doing what he typically did. But verse 1 of chapter 11. Then Nahash, the Ammonite, came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. So Nahash was from Ammon. We would say today, Ammon. Ammonite, an Am, the Ammonite came up and encamped against this particular city and region, Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said unto Nahash, Jabesh said unto Nahash, Make a covenant with us and we will serve thee. So we're going to look at this little map, kind of give us some perspective uh, today. And uh, I'm hoping this will work. I can make this work. Oh, yes. Now, this is a real, it's not a good map. This is the third one I tried. It's hard to take little maps and make them big enough that you can see. But, so I'm going to help you read this. This right here is uh, the region of Ammon right in here. And uh, you have the, Mo the Moab and Ammon. And farther down here is Edom. These are all, just to help you see this, this is the Jordan River right here. Sea of Galilee right there. Dead Sea, and down here is Ammon and uh, Moab and Edom. So you can't read this, but take my word for it. Ammon, uh, Nahash was from Ammon, and he comes up here and he's, a, he's going to attack Jabesh Gilead, which is right here. You'll remember uh, when the when the 12 tribes of Israel, when they were um, giving out the inheritance, that some of these Israelites, when they were come to occupy what was then Canaan right here, they saw this land over here on the east of the Jordan River, and it is really lush, uh, fertile, the Jordan River Valley, and, and they said, the descendants of Manasseh said, we would like this to be in our inheritance. So they inherited on the east side of the Jordan River. And over here you have the majority of Israel on the west side of the Jordan River. So, just to kind of put, give some perspective, Nahash from Ammon, right over in here, went up to Jabesh Gilead, right here, and threatened them. And, and so we're going to talk about this. And uh, it, it said a while ago that, uh, see right here, that's in the area of Gilead, or not Gilead, uh, where's, where's Saul from? G um, 
Gibeath. Yeah, I get my gibs and gizz and Gibeath. So, he, so right in there is, he's right down here. It's near Jerusalem. Okay, so you got, so you got three places here. Ammon, Jabesh Gilead, and Gilead right down here. And that'll kind of put things in perspective. Thank you, Bryson. Appreciate that. So, so let's just, we're going to look at our notes. Anybody need the notes? Everybody got the notes? Okay, good. Um, so, in verse 1, Nahash, the Ammonite, came up north and camped against Jabesh Gilead, which means basically they probably set up a, a siege of the city, surrounded them, uh, encamped against them. And the men of Jabesh said unto Nahash, make a covenant with us. So let's just, let's just kind of wade into this slowly. The first point I make on your notes there, according to 1 Samuel 12, this impending threat from Nahash was the catalyst for Israel pressing the matter of having a king. Now let's look in 1 Samuel 12 and verse 12. This is, a, this is like a speech Samuel's giving in chapter 12, uh, and we'll talk about this next week. But in verse 12 he says, he's speaking to uh, the people of Israel. When you saw that Nahash, the king of the children of Ammon, came against you, you said unto me, you said unto Samuel, me, you said unto me, but a king shall reign over us, then the Lord your God was your king. So, so basically, with that, it's a little bit of information that we didn't get in the earlier part of this First Samuel, and that is, it was this threat of Nahash, the fact that they were afraid that Nahash was going to attack them, that made them persist. It wasn't the first time they asked for a king, but persist them having a, in getting a king. Why? Because they were afraid. And there are two things that really stand out to me about this. Number one, they were fearful, but number two, they weren't trusting in the Lord. It says, last part of verse 12 of 1 Samuel 12, when the Lord your God was your king, they didn't trust God enough. So they said, we need a king to rule over us. So let's just think about this man Nahash. And as I said, I'll just kind of introduce this with some information, details. He was an Ammonite. So I think it's worth remembering who Ammon was. Um, and, here, and just kind of give you this little bit of background. Number one, they were perpetual enemies of Israel. We're going to see this in the text, just a couple of examples of it in the Bible, I mean. But Ammon was the offspring. His, this, he was the offspring of an incestuous relationship between Lot and one of Lot's daughters. That's how Ammon began. Lot, when he, when he escaped out of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, his wife was turned into a pillar of salt. He had two daughters, and those two daughters and took it upon themselves to say, how are we ever going to have uh, descendants to follow after? Uh, nobody's going to want us. And so they got their dad drunk, and one of them... Uh, was with child and named that child Moab. That's how the Moabites began. And they were perpetual enemies of Israel. The other one had a child and called him Ammon. And, he, the, and that's where the Ammonites came from. Now that's important 
to keep in mind because today that region that was once Ammon is Lebanon and the capital of that is Ammon. It's not, it's Jordan. And the capital of Jordan is Ammon. You used to hear that on the news frequently. Ammon, something about Ammon, Jordan. That's where these people came from. And it's just a reminder that when we disobey God and take things in our own hands, the consequences can go on for generation and generation and generation. In this case, it's gone on for centuries, uh, millennium, thousands of years, and it's still a problem today. So just to give an example of uh, this, go back, hold your finger there and go to uh, Judges for briefly for a couple of verses. And just talking about this place, these Ammonites won't go away. Now those are the people that are attacking um, the people of Jabesh Gilead. They just won't go away. Judges chapter 3 and verse 12 it says, And the children of Israel, did, these, the, this is the period of the judges that preceded the time of the kings. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And, and Eglon, the king of Moab, he gathered unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek and went in and possessed Israel and possessed the city of palm trees. So there we have, again, an example of Ammon's, or we would say Ammon's, uh, animosity toward Israel. Now look in uh, Judges chapter 10. And there are so many of these. I made a note in the text, in the lesson, that Ammon is mentioned over 120 times in the Bible. Judges chapter 10 and verse 9. Moreover, the children of Ammon, this is a different time, moreover, the children of Ammon passed over Jordan to fight against fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim. And so Israel was sore distressed. Whereas another time, the Ammonites attack uh, Israel. Look in chapter 11 of Judges, chapter 4. And it came to pass in the process of time that the children of Ammon made war against Israel. So you see a pattern here. These Ammonites just continually, perpetually were an enemy to the Israelites. So... Looking at our lesson here in uh, small letter C, just I just I like being I like my, me personally I like uh, looking at maps I like the geography of places I like to visualize the territory that was being things were happening in. So see, Jabesh Gilead was on the east of the Jordan River, as we said earlier, uh, part of the inheritance of the half tribe of Manasseh. The men of Jabesh. Now let's go back to 1 Samuel 11.1. 1. The men of Jabesh, when they were threatened, notice what they did. Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said unto Nahash, Make a covenant with us and we will serve thee. Now that's, a, that's such an interesting response. Uh, you know, as soon as they see that they're surrounded by the Ammonites, their first response was, this was their official response to this threat, make a covenant with us and we will serve thee. That, just something about that just really stands out to me. You know, they didn't offer to fight. They didn't say, we're going to, 
It, it, the, the first response was make a covenant with us. Uh, D, in your notes, the men of Jabesh immediately offered to serve their enemy. Make a covenant with us and we will serve you. They're gonna, we're going to become your servants. And verse 2, Nahash, the Ammonite, answered them. Here's, this was his answer. On this condition will I make a covenant with you that I may thrust out all your right eyes and lay it for a reproach upon all Israel. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Here's the, okay, this is what we'll do. We will, we will thrust out the right eyes of all of, your, all of your men and lay it out as a reproach for you. Now, you can only speculate as to why, uh, the, why they said the right eye, but one, one person suggested, and this is probably legitimate, you know, if you were a soldier and you were fighting, you had a shield of armor in your left hand, then you would depend more on your right eye to see what's happening in front of you. So that would make you basically helpless if, you, you know, is, if your right eye is gone. That, that Bible didn't say that's true, but it's a good suggestion. Uh, number one there under E, he depends on his right eye to see his enemy. And then they would lay out the, they're going to take these eyes, these eyeballs, and, and lay them out there kind of as a reproach so that when people see them, it would be a source of a, a shame and humiliation. And so I think that's a part of the whole message there is the motive was that the Ammonites wanted to defeat them and destroy them, but they also wanted to humiliate them because there's been ongoing conflict between Ammon and Israel all through the centuries. We saw numerous examples of it. It's still going on even today. So uh, just to make a, an application there, on a four there, about the middle of your page, that's Satan's objective in our, our own lives. He wants to intimidate us. He wants to demoralize us. He wants to defeat us. And that's exactly what Ammon is doing to Israel. So, uh, look in verse 3. And the elders of Jabesh said unto him, when he said, okay, this is the conditions, I'll thrust out your right eye, their response in verse 3, the elders, the leaders of Jabesh said unto him, to Nahash, give us seven days respite, seven days, that we may send messengers unto all the coasts of Israel. And then, if there is no man to save us, we will come out to thee. So they made a counteroffer, basically. And what they said was, give us... We were, they requested seven days to search through the entire country and find someone that would save them. Now again, in, under F there, you know, here are things that stand out to me about this. Number one, their initial response was not to look to God. And that's, a, that's the heart of their problem. They're not trusting in God. They didn't look to God. They weren't thinking about Saul as their leader at all. Now, they weren't thinking about any person in particular, and I think it's important to understand that, but they weren't even willing to go out to fight. You know, I'm not a fighter, but I, I think before I would be willing to let, to agree, let all our right eyes be, eyes be plucked out, and then we'll serve you. I think before I'd be willing to do that, I'd be willing to fight. They weren't even willing to fight. They were, 
there were two things about them. They were cowards and they were unbelievers. They weren't believing or trusting in the Lord. And so they said, give us seven days. If we can't find a man that'll face, that'll face Nahash, we'll come out and meet you. Now, it doesn't tell us this, but obviously Nahash agreed with their request. Because then that brings us to verse 4. Then came the messengers. These, so they said, let us send messengers throughout all Israel to find a man. Verse 4. Then came those messengers to Gibeah of Saul, where Saul lived, and told the tidings in the ears of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Now they didn't come there because they were looking for Saul. They were going to every city, every region, all over the country. Now when we think of all over the country, we think about our country and how long it takes to get around our country if you were traveling on foot. But in this, Israel is a very small country and you can, you know, you could walk the length of the country of Israel in just a few days. And so it's not, a ma it's not like it's a, it's a major, major uh, country. So they said, look, we're going to saturate the country. We're going to look for somebody to help us. And so they came to Gibeah where Saul lived. And the messengers are just telling the people. They were just going to wherever they went, probably the gates of the city. They're talking to the people and telling the people of this, this pending crisis. And when they did, the people were just weeping in verse in verse 4, all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Verse 5, and behold, Saul came after the herd out of the field. And so here's the king, the first king. He's been anointed as king. Uh, he's been recognized as king, but he went home to his town of, of Gibeah. And what is he doing now? You know, he's not building a palace He's just, what's he doing? He's taking care of the livestock, watching over the sheep. He's doing what he did before he became the king. It's very interesting to think about that. So behold, behold, Saul came after the herd out of the field, and Saul said, What aileth the people that they weep? I mean, it was obvious. He comes into town, comes into the village, whatever he came into. People are just weeping. Why are they weeping? Because, they're, because if they don't find someone who can face Nahash, they're going to be humiliated and they're going to lose their right eyes. The soldiers are. It's a horrible thing. It's a national disaster. So they told him, the last part of verse 5, they told Saul the tidings of the men of Jabesh. They told him what Jabesh has said. Verse 6. And the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard these tidings and his anger was kindled greatly. So, so here he is out in the field watching the livestock he comes into town people are crying and when he heard of the threat the first thing it says is the spirit of God came upon him and he was greatly angered we're going to dive into this a little more in a few minutes but but here we see uh, really the fulfillment that Samuel said about Saul that when the Spirit of God comes upon you, you'll become a new man. You'll be a different person. Now here we now who was Saul? Saul was the first king. He wasn't campaigning for it. When they came to actually anoint him as king, he was hiding, hiding among the stuff. He didn't want to be recognized. He was he was humble. He was shy, maybe introverted. That was his personality. But now the Spirit of God comes upon him. 
and he, and he just becomes a bold leader. He became, this is true righteous indignation. Anger is a problem. Anger can be a problem. I've struggled with anger in my own life. But there is an anger that's not a sin. There is an anger that's not a problem. And this was not, this was not a sinful anger. This was a righteous indignation. He was mad. He was upset. He was angry. And so he is, he is going to respond. Verse 7, And he took a yoke of oxen. A yoke is like a team. It could be two oxen. could be more than two. You know, uh, when Elisha, uh, Elijah went to anoint Elisha, he was, he was plowing behind 12 yoke of oxen. So, but the word yoke means they're yoked together. They're teamed together. So, doesn't tell us how many there were. He took a yoke of oxen. This is what he did. Hewed them in pieces, chopped them up in pieces, butchered them, and then sent them throughout all the coasts of Israel by the hands of messengers. This is what Saul did. Every, take a hunk of this meat and go through. Go, we're going to saturate the country. And here's what you're going to tell people. Whosoever cometh not forth after Saul... And after Samuel, so shall it be done unto his oxen. If you, don't, if you don't join the army today, this is what's going to happen to your oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. So he cuts up this oxen in pieces and sends it out to people, and the fear of the Lord fell on them. Now it's... Uh, it's, it's kind of a maybe a minor detail, but it's a, it is a detail. Verse 7, when he said this, whosoever cometh not after Saul and after Samuel. That little and after Samuel I think is worth noting. Which tells me a couple of things. Number one, it, Saul, was, Saul had never done any. This is his first action, his first executive order as the king. Uh, the people don't know him. The pe why should the people respond to him? But he also used, so he dropped Samuel's name there because the people did respect Samuel. The whole nation respects Samuel. But we're going to see later that Samuel was also with him, at least at some time during this time. So how did this, how did this recruitment measure work? In verse 8, and when he numbered them, these are the volunteers that showed up. When he numbered them in Bezek, that was kind of where the staging area for their military attack. When he numbered them in Bezek, the children of Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah 30,000. So 330,000 men showed up. Isn't that something? The first time he calls for an army, he has 330,000 men show up. Uh, and... And it was, and you know, when it says in verse seven, it wasn't just a fear, a natural fear, a panic. It was the fear of the Lord. The Lord put this fear on them that if we don't respond, then we're gonna we're gonna pay a great price for it. And we'll come back to that a little bit later. So let's just working our way through this chapter in uh, verse nine. And they said unto the messengers that came. Thus shall you say unto the men of Jabesh Gilead, that we have 930 or 330,000 people. 
Go tell the men of Jabesh-Gilead, tomorrow, by that time the sun be hot, you shall have help. And the messengers came and showed it to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, and they were glad. They at least may keep their right eye. Help is on its way. The cavalry is being assembled, even as we speak. Verse 10, therefore the men of Jabesh said, tomorrow we will come out to you. So they went to Nahash and said, now they've got seven days. We don't know if the seven days are up, but they said to them, tomorrow we will come out to you and you shall do unto us all that, all that seemeth good to you. Now, just taking the Bible for what it says, the men of Jabesh did not say to Nahash, we've got an army coming, and it's big. He didn't say that. He just said, tomorrow about this time, we're going to come out to you. They were kind of vague about that. And I think it's a smart thing. They probably, I think if I'm Nahash, and they said, okay, tomorrow we're coming out against you, he's probably thinking they couldn't find anybody. This is going to be a pushover, whatever the case may be. But anyway, so the, the drama is sort of building in this scenario. And... Verse 11, it was so on the morning that Saul put the people in three companies and they came into the midst of the host, talking about the Ammonites. They came into the midst of the host in the morning watch and slew the Ammonites until the heat of the day. They came in the morning. The morning watch is the latest part of the night before you get to dawn. The morning watch. And they slew the Ammonites until the heat of the day, and it came to pass that they which remained were scattered so that two of them were not left together. You know, one of the things about geography and locating places on the map is some of these places don't exist anymore. Bezek was one of those places that doesn't exist. Uh, But people try to imagine where it is or speculate or pinpoint where it is and and really it was just to the west probably of the Jordan River so from from where they staged their army across the Jordan River and then to where Jabesh is Jabesh Gilead is less than 10 miles probably so so again speculation and imagination is not the same as revelation but it seems to me probably what happened was that they, they had these 330,000 soldiers in Bezek and probably that evening uh, they got their army together and by night they went across the Jordan River so that in the, in, right before dawn they've got these people surrounded and they're going to attack them and slaughter them. It's going to be a great victory. That's verse 11. It says, uh, they, it came to pass that there remained that they which remained were scattered so that two of them were not left together. They just totally wiped them out. And then just quickly the last few verses. And the people, after this great victory over the Ammonites, the people said unto Samuel, so we know Samuel is there now, who is he that said, shall reign over us, bring them in that we may put them to death? You'll remember this that some of the people that didn't, at the last part of chapter 10, they despised Saul, they didn't want to follow Saul. And so now after Saul leads them to victory, they said, where are those people that don't want Saul to reign over us? Bring them, we may put them to death, we're going to kill them. They said that to Samuel. But the person that responded to these people 
and their notion was Saul. Verse 13, and Saul said, there shall not a man be put to death this day. And this is a great statement coming from Saul. For today the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel. So then Samuel said to the people, come in, let's go to Gilgal, back over Jordan, back to Gilgal. And all the people went there and they made Saul officially the king again in Gilgal. So, so it's a great story. This is the, Saul's first official act as king. He's taken from watching the flock, came out of the flock, came out of the field, heard what was going on, initially went into action, sent these messengers throughout Israel with these pieces of oxen meat and said, if you don't show up, that's what your herd's going to look like. We're going to butcher your herd. And they responded. It's a great method, really. Um, so, so let's just look in, in our principles and lessons to apply here in the middle of the back page. First of all, you know, you see this consistent animosity. We emphasize this already between the Ammonites and the Israelites, which reminds me of the, the, the battle that we're in perpetually. We have an, we have an enemy. They had an enemy that will, would not go away. We have an enemy that will not go away, a spiritual enemy. Our, our flesh is an enemy. The world is an enemy. The devil is an enemy. We're in constant warfare. And interesting that the first response of Jabesh, the men of Jabesh, was to say, tell us what you want us to do and we will serve you. And I think in a way, it, it kind of mirrors the way that the life is for us. That that's really what the devil wants from us. He wants us to surrender. He wants us to yield. He wants us to give in. He wants us to serve his interests. And it's just a constant battle and, and, and be there under that uh, first principle. Uh, the strategy of compromise in order to avoid conflict very often leads to defeat. And that's, and that's exactly what they were willing to do. They were willing to compromise. What do we have to do and we'll serve you? And, um, and then another principle we're thinking about. See there, Saul heard of this, pen, he came out of the field, he heard of this pending disaster, this danger, and the need that he heard drew him to involvement. In other words, it brought him into the conflict. It brought him forth to action. And I think, I think we can apply that to our own life. Sometimes hearing of opportunities, hearing of need, it, we, res, we ought to respond to that. We ought to, it ought to move us. It moved him. And then D under that, we see in Saul how this prophecy of Samuel was fulfilled, and that is when the Holy Spirit came upon him, he became a new man. And it's a reminder to me that the same is true in our life. When the Spirit of God is with us and leading us and filling us, we're capable of doing things that we wouldn't otherwise be able to do. And I see this in Saul so vividly. Now the last part, questions. You know, how does the willingness on the part of the men of Jabesh to serve Saul, what does that say to you? And I think I've already really emphasized. The fact that they were willing to surrender tells me, number one, they were cowards. They were afraid. But number two, they were not trusting in God. They were not men of faith. And so what would have been a better response? I mean, put yourself in that situation. You're living in Jabesh Gilead. 
You get up one day and you're surrounded by these perpetual enemies, the Ammonites. And what should have been, their, what do you think should have been a better first response? What do you think? Nobody has one? Their first response should have been to seek the Lord, to pray, to ask God what to do. To, but, that's, but this is where the nation of Israel is spiritually. God is not really first in their minds. C, let's skip to D. How do you feel about this method that Saul had of recruiting an army, chopping up oxen and sending them out? You think it's overkill? What? No pun intended. <laughs> huh? It was a good motivator. And in my mind, it was a good, it was kind of the shock effect. And here's the thing that got these people on board, and this is really worth thinking about. The, the thing that got these people to surrender, 330,000, that's a lot of people, was the fact that if I don't do something, it's going to affect me. It's going to be my oxen. And why is that so important? Because I think if they, if they just saw this as somebody else's war, somebody else's battle, they could have said, Jabesh Gilead is on the other side of the Jordan River. It doesn't, it doesn't affect me directly. It's not going to... But once they saw that this is going to... If I don't do something, it's going to cost me, then all of a sudden, they got, in, they got on board. They began to follow. And I think it's a really... And by the way, we are, you know... I can just make so many applications of this to our own life. I think about our own country. This is one of the things that's wrong with our country. Is people have the idea, if it's not directly affecting me today, then it's not that big a deal. And yet the truth is, it is affecting us. And I'm not just talking about inflation. I'm talking about just the general direction of our country. If, if we knew, if people really understood how this is going to affect your children, your grandchildren people may be more apt to do something about it rather than just sit idly by and say it doesn't affect me. I'm not advocating that we chop up animals and send it to everybody. But it's true. I mean, we, we, we have such a crisis in our country today where it's, it's very evident that, um, that people who really are not going along with the socialist agenda are being targeted, they're being marked, they're being, it's, this, this is what you see in communist countries, where people spy on you, and if you don't toe the line, then you're going to be consequences for you, but as long as it's not affecting people directly, they don't even care, they don't seem to care, so I think it was a, a very good method to get people on board. Was your hand up, Jim? Yeah, to get, right, right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's true. It's not just them personally, but it's their, it's their assets, it's their wealth, it's their livelihood, right? Yeah. So they jolted into action. It's, it's really, I love this story. It's a great story. Um, and, and just f- closing out in verse 13, when they, when, they, when they came to Samuel and said, let's kill these people who, who expressed their lack of support for Saul, Saul said in verse 13, there shall not a man be put to death this day, for today the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel. Again, we see his humility. He's giving God credit for it. He's giving God glory for it. And that's, that's going forward from here, we're going to see some critical mistakes that Saul made. But I've really felt necessary to really see before that how his heart really was in the right place. He really was humble. He really was wanting God to get glory.